Welcome to The Reforming Lounge, a podcast on spiritual formation for the wandering heart. Every Wednesday, we gather to discuss questions centered around mental health and discipleship in the context of the local church. Well, good morning, guys. Welcome to The Reforming Lounge. My name is Mark. I'm one of the hosts here, and I'm joined by my friend, Mike Fowler. What's up, dude? What's up, man? How's your week going? Uh, so I'm at the start of a kind of half week off, okay. kind of doing some self-care. So I'm off today <laughs> and uh, the next two days. Oh, nice. Any reason why? Just because you can't. Taking a break. Well, we had. Applying um, your own therapy to yourself. That, that. I can just tell when I'm getting tired and okay. uh, stuff. I was coming up on that like two or three weeks ago. And so that's when I put in my request to have a couple days off. Days off. Yeah, we had some people, we had some turnover at our agency. And so um, that just kind of enhances the workload for everybody else for a little bit. So it's yeah, been pretty right busy on. out there. Cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting some time off starting Saturday, and I'm looking forward to that. Nice. So that's after the X29 thing. Technically, it's it's a part of it. And so the X29 oh, okay. thing is a retreat. And so every two years, uh, we put together this big retreat called like pastors and wives. And so we go to Colorado because that's like the midpoint for everyone on this side of the States. So when you go to Texas all the way up and then you're covering from there to the West, Colorado seems to be um, the, the, the midway point and everybody loves Colorado and the weather and all that stuff. And so yeah. we go there for about two and a half days and uh, so my wife and I, my son, we're going to drive up there. We're going to be in Beaver Creek, Colorado for like two and a half days. And then we're going to drive down to Colorado Springs for maybe a day or two. And then from Colorado Springs, we're going to be in your neck of the woods. We're going to be in the DFW for another couple of days and then we'll come home. And so uh, in the summers, I get about 10 days off. And so I like to be home between day eight and nine so that I don't just jump back in at work the following day. Um, because as soon as, as soon as we get back, like I, I jump back into not only preaching um, that Sunday, but that same Sunday, which is July 4th, that same Sunday, I'm also officiating a wedding and oh, man. yeah. And then like four days later, five days later, I'm officiating another wedding. So, um, got a lot of families yes. in our church that are getting married in, in the next couple of weeks to, to the next year. So I think we have like four or five couples who are getting married, man, dude, do you enjoy doing weddings? I do. I really do enjoy. I enjoy Yes. Yeah. To, to, to be brief. Yes. I enjoy doing weddings because yeah. I mean, it's this like little slice of Eden. You get to kind of see what God has brought together and you just get the best seat in the house. Um, you get an opportunity to preach the gospel to um, uh, the bride and the groom and their family, and they can't do anything about it. And so they're there listening. And so you, you get this wonderful opportunity to preach the gospel and um yeah. And, and so, yeah, other than that, weddings down here are super fun. And so, um, big party, big, big family hanging out, doing all the things. So I really enjoy that. Uh, premarital is always kind of a challenge. Uh, sure. postmarital is also some, sometimes a challenge, but good nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully you're better at it now than you were a few years ago. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I think I did. Okay. At your wedding. 
I think your wedding was like my second wedding, my second or third wedding that I'd ever done. Was it really? Yeah, yeah. I your your wedding, yours and Shelby's was like my sec. I think it was my second wedding. No, it was my we third hired wedding. You. That summer, I had your wedding to officiate, and then one of the guys down yeah. here moved to California, and so we I officiated his wedding over there. Wow. Yeah. We we thought we hired you for your expertise and experience. No. Jeez. No, Way to lie on the resume. <laughs> I don't remember submitting a resume. <laughs> I remember yeah. we paid you very, very little. Maybe we covered your gas. Yeah, yeah. So. That was it. I, I didn't care. I, so I don't charge for that. I don't charge for, for weddings or any of that. Really? Well, I yeah. should let me back Wait. I I like you and <laughs> Like with you and Shelby, right? Like I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna charge y'all. I mean, none of that, you know. Um, like y'all are good friends, and so like you know, I had just moved back home, so going up to Denton was not a big deal. Um, sure. If yeah, but if uh, apart from that, if uh, if you're a member in in the church, I, I pastor. Like I don't, I don't charge, um, and because uh, that just comes with. Uh, my, my role as a pastor. And so, sure. but I know guys in the past, um, not, not in my church because I'm the only pastor right now, but I've, I've known other pastors who like charge, uh, their congregation to officiate their, their wedding. And I mean, I disagree with that. It's kind of part of the job, man. Like premarital is part of the job and, uh, officiating yeah. weddings is part of the job. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so like, I, but on the other end, I've I have sat with people and said I will not officiate your wedding, and that's always an awkward conversation because of stuff that comes up in premarital. Um, because of stuff, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of them, I've done, okay. I've unfortunately done it three times. Um, maybe not unfortunately, but it was not a very happy moment. So sure, difficult yeah, conversations. One of, yeah, one of them was stuff that came up in premarital. Um, another one, we hadn't even gotten into premarital and, um, there were these really, uh, there were these concerns that came up just in conversation. And I was like, Hey, we, we should pause on this. Let, let me ask you some follow-up questions. And I did. And, um, um, it didn't turn out so well, like, cause you never, you don't walk away feeling like, man, I glorified the Lord in that conversation. You walk away feeling like crap. Like I just made these people cry no matter how good yeah. or even how biblical or how grace graceful my speech was. Like I, I just ruined some hearts right now and that sucks. And I hope they make a good decision and I'm going to continue to meet with them or pray with them or whatever. But yeah, it's sure. It, it's not always fun. Yeah, man. Yeah. I believe it. I've had some couples break up in premarital counseling oh my and gosh. it does suck. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, but you I've know what? Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, it's generally a good thing. Like it, you know, it's difficult for sure for me and for them. Right. But I mean, like it's not, and I mean, on my side, I'm not even like, I'm just kind of asking some basic questions, yeah. Yeah. you know, of why are you guys deciding to get married? Mm. And then it's like, if they haven't actually thought through why they actually want to get married and it just kind of feels like the next step, I think that exposes some things and, you know, and they're like, oh man, why are we getting married? Have they like um, broken up in your office? Not, no, not, not like in front of me, but like, oh, that would be, I've awkward. gotten a message. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had that happen in other situations, but. Um, Were a couple breaks up in front of you? What? Yeah. I've not, man, that 
I kind of don't want to see that. That's that's cringe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I feel like that's. I mean, I don't know how how great I handled it. It was the first time that it ever happened. It's the first and only time. Okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was. I've reflected on it since then. I'm like, man, I feel like there's definitely some things I could have done differently. Sure. But sure. you know, that's not even something that we talked about in school ever of if someone breaks oh, up wow. in front of you, we never covered if someone just straight up walks out of your office, what do you do then? That's happened to me. Yeah. I didn't so, get that either in yeah. uh, seminary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> nobody, nobody tells you about, Hey, you're going to feel like crap after yeah. you just crush their hearts. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you saving them from though? That's what, I, that's where I lean into is I'm like, dude, this sucks. Like breakups suck for sure. Yeah. But yeah. divorce is so much worse. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's yeah. like, Hey, if you break up right now and you know, it saves you tremendous heartache yeah. 15 years down there, the road. There have been like couples that I've met with who, man, after working through both practical and theological concerns and issues, I've come out to the other side and said, hey, um, here's my counsel. I don't think this is a good idea. Here's why. Additionally, you don't have to listen to me. Like You can go and do whatever it is you want to go do, and I will not be the one who officiates this wedding. Mm-hmm. And so, so I've had that, and couples get married, and they come back and say, hey, we need to talk. I'm like, well, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> you know and so it's yeah no go for it What's is up? that is that like a uh, uh like a, i guess i'm just wondering if all congregations or all well probably not all obviously but if that's a common thing for a pastor to do in that role is like either just say i'm not going to marry you because of these things mm-hmm. or even like directing like, Hey, based on what we've talked about, I really don't think that you guys should get married. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder because, um, the place that I've been at before, um, they never would have done that. I, I don't think. And so, yeah. I, but it's a very, very different style church theology, sure. a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I I'm wondering. Yeah. Uh, well, so I think, um, I approach it from the role of, of um, pastor as a shepherd. Like, man, my role is yeah. to shepherd the flock that I've been entrusted with from the Lord Jesus. And as a result of that, um, man, I want to love them well. I want to care for them well. I want to be there with them and among them. And man, you trust me enough as your pastor to come to me with some of these like exciting moments of your life, just as much as they do when stuff's not going well. And I want to be able to love them well, even when it's something they don't necessarily want to hear or when it's something that's just really hard. Um, yeah. And in some of those occasions, it hasn't necessarily been a rebuke. It's just been an exhortation. Like, hey, here's the reality of what I see and what's going on. Here's why I don't think it would be wise to move forward in this way. And so I don't just leave it up to themselves. Like I will put you know, my concerns on the table. Um, I will put their sin on the table if there is some of that and call them to repent. Um, and how they're going to respond when they leave my office is, I, I, I don't know. Um, and I think that's some of the, man, I think that's some of the, the hardship tension that comes with pastoral ministry, because if they follow through with whatever decision they make and then things aren't going well and they come back to you, like, man, my role in that moment is to shepherd them the same, right? Come alongside right. them, meet them where they are and, and hear about what's going on. And, and now we're just walking through it differently, but we're, I'm still responsible to shepherd them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah. And so like, and that's, I think that's the part that makes pastoral ministry kind of confusing 
mm-hmm. right? Because I think you would normally say like, hey, if you're going to go this route, you shouldn't do that. Or, you know, this is why I don't think it's a good idea. This is why I don't think it's a wise idea. And you might provide these reasons. And then they go and do it anyway. And then they come to you, even particularly if they come to you, even in repentance, you're just like, okay. And we were now I'm going to walk with you through this new avenue of your life. You know? <laughs> and so it makes it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's confusing. It's, uh, I don't know. There's like so many different emotional outlets that you kind of have to, these emotional catacombs that you have to like navigate through because at the end of the day, man, I'm I'm still, you know, you call yourself a member, call yourself certainly a Christian. And at the same time, like I'm responsible to shepherd you and meet you where you are and continue to disciple you. And hopefully, hopefully they would be more like Jesus in the process. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that is just like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume that's just heightened as a pastor too. Cause I I feel like when you're discipling people, like, you know, just your average church member that disciples a handful of people, you have that experience of like having conversations with people, them ignoring it or whatever the case is, (laughs) and then coming back and being like, Hey, this didn't go great. But I would imagine it's just heightened for, for you with, I mean, the amount of people that you're exposed to and community. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, it, it, that's what makes it again, confusing. That's what makes like the emotional highs really high. And that's what makes the emotional lows really low. Um, But man, then you get those, like we're talking, you know, principally about marriage, but then you get those occasions where it sticks and it lands and you're just like, yes, um, yeah. man, let's do this. Let's go. And and that's kind of like the fuel for the next one. <laughs> Cause when someone yeah. comes up and they're like, Hey man, we'd love it. If you officiate your, our wedding and you're just like, yes. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm for y'all. I love this. There's excitement. And then let's say you get into Supreme marital stuff and you're like, all right, we need to step on the brakes. We need to work through some stuff. If they come out on the other side, healthy or, or on the road to health and so okay like because the truth about premarital at the very least for me you can fill into this the truth about premarital is like i'm uh we're not going to cover everything we're just we're not going to be like i'm not looking for perfection i'm not looking for you to be the the most healthy i'm looking for you to be healthy enough in the place of man you're pursuing the lord you're seeing the holy spirit at work in one another and you want to serve one another as he continues to work in you um and so you're cultivating that culture um cool let's go forward on that and there are things that we're just we're not, i'm not always going to get to cover everything in in premarital um which is why i think postmarital is important and so even with postmarital like i'll do a three-month check-in a six month and then 12 month. How are you guys doing? What's going on? So I'll, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in premarital, I'm just, I'm not going to be able to cover everything. So I'm like, I'm looking for things like whether or not they're in community. Um, I'm asking them about their story. I'm asking about, um, yeah, what, what do you see the Holy spirit doing in one another and, and how, what does it look like for you to come alongside and say, I want to serve you in that capacity. And that's when it's like, Oh, well, I actually haven't, I haven't thought of that. Well, okay, let's start there. Or I've started with, why don't you tell me what the gospel is? Uh, I thought we were talking about marriage. Yeah. Why don't you tell me what the gospel is? Yeah. There's crickets and they're really nervous and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, on, on my end, even in, even when I've been involved in um, like premarital ministries, it's typically not like gospel centric stuff. It's just been like, kind of what you would expect from the secular premarital counseling, just like if you all thought about roles, if you thought about, you know, how, if you want to have kids, if you don't want to have kids, if you share the same religious beliefs, 
Um, yeah. And, and thought about sex to navigate those. Yeah. I love getting that one. Cause it makes it awkward. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it almost seems like there's kind of this idea that, you know, this is premarital counseling. We're just supposed to like feel super happy about our relationship <laughs> um, rather than kind of examining, you know, maybe some areas of improvement yeah. um, or definitely from a theological aspect, even if we have an understanding of what marriage is. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, which feels like a really long segue into our topic of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, speaking of helping people. <laughs> yeah. This became its own other podcast. And so man, that's, yeah. that could be something we come back to later. Um, yeah, but today sure. we're, we're going to be starting kind of a, a short series on something that we're calling the secular Trinity and, um, the secular Trinity came out of one, a class I was teaching on spiritual warfare and then two, uh, ongoing conversations that you and I were having concerning the fields of therapy, what we're dubbing the new psychology and, and self-care mm-hmm. and, um, I guess to to open up and to 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 briefly explain what we're calling the, the secular trinity is uh, one of the ongoing trends that we're seeing Christians embrace is this um, is this is, is this secular trinity this new trinity uh, under the guise of therapy uh, the new psychology and and self care and we're going to unpack every week. We're going to unpack each one of these so that we can better explain and elaborate what we mean by this. And some of the, some of the helpful things that come with therapy, the new psychology and, uh, and then self-care. But we also want to address some of the harmful things that come with embracing uh, this new Trinity, because as this trend uh, continues to grow and gain momentum, and as more and more Christians are embracing a variety of new therapies, a variety, of new uh, techniques and processes, what ends up happening at the very least what I'm seeing within the church, what ends up happening is as Christians embrace this new Trinity or this secular Trinity, um, they idolize it and equate it to the Holy Trinity, which is um, uh, the Father, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And so by embracing this new, this this secular Trinity, what, what we are doing or what Christians are doing in their action is that they're actually denying the person and character uh, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when Christians do that, by definition, that's heretical. That is heresy. And I know one of the things we'll talk about this as we get into the episode. I know one of the things we 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 addressed was that part of the reason Christians embrace the secular trinity is because of a lack of discernment. And I know we're going to talk about that uh, in in a minute. But today we're we're starting with the area of therapy. Um, that is something that is both helpful and can be harmful, but particularly in the wake of, of, of COVID or the pandemic, this has been an increase. You've seen, seen an increase in individuals and couples that you meet with. This is certainly something that has become a lot more um not just popular, but of an ongoing conversation within the church, within my church, uh, particularly. And so what yeah. we wanted to do this morning is kind of address, man, what's, what's good about therapy. Um, but, but what's harmful about therapy. And it's almost going to seem as though we're going to, uh, hang on to the harmful piece because that seems to be what is louder within the church today as a result of 
a lack of discernment being applied to what uh, what should be done. So, um, yeah. man, starting starting off with with just this whole idea of, of therapy, what do you think is man, the purpose of therapy? So, this is us touching on the helpful side of things. I mean, what do you think is the purpose of of therapy, and and how can therapy actually be helpful for the Christian? And that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think in general, the overall idea of therapy is to find a place of wellness and healing, uh, depending on the person's circumstances. So that could be a billion different things, right? That they might be struggling with. Um, obviously, on an individual level, sometimes it's depression, different types of mood, anxiety. Um, but then relationally, um, can produce challenges in, in marriage or um, even, you know, parent-child relationships, just friend relationships. Um, and so I think that's kind of the, the essence of it is being able to address distress that a person or uh, relationship could be experiencing. One of the things that we talked about online, uh, or excuse me, offline was, and you, you mentioned this to me, that when it comes to going to therapy, seeing a therapist, seeing a counselor, and some of the helpful things that can come as a result of that, I think this was really helpful. You mentioned that that not all therapy is is actually against the gospel. And I think <clears throat> I think that's one thing that many Christians... I feel like there's these two sides of Christian of, of, of Christians, or I should say there are these two extremes of Christians, right? That on one end, we have some Christians who rather than applying and practicing discernment, they forfeit the truth of God and they surrender to the council of therapy, right? They, they, they surrender to the Trinity or the, the secular Trinity that we're talking about. Yeah. On the other hand, you have some Christians who also rather than applying and practicing discernment, they refuse or they forfeit the truth of God and refuse to actually receive help or to make changes because therapy is demonic. Therapy is not biblical. Therapy is unhelpful. Um, I don't want someone getting in my head, all of these myths and like kind of these, these misconceptions of, of, of therapy. And so, yeah. So once again, you mentioned, man, not all therapy is, is against the gospel. So, so can you speak into that a little bit? Um, how, how does like, how does therapy come along or how I should say this, how does the gospel come alongside therapy um, in a way that actually doesn't contradict my beliefs or doesn't contradict what, what scripture teaches? Yeah, it's. I feel like uh, I keep it, asking it almost, you these good. I'm doing air quotes. These good questions, and you're like, "Oh crap!" All right, I got. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's almost broken into three different categories. I feel like, um, and this is something that I'm learning about myself currently because I was. I mean, I went to a Christian school, technically Abilene Christian University, is where I got my master's. Yeah, go Roadrunners. Is that what their mascot is? I think you're missing it. <laughs> but I don't know who it is. So I'm not, we're just going to move on. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as like Christian counseling and biblical counseling, I'm learning about that myself right now. Uh, yeah. Most of what I know about it is just through personal experience, which has not been great. So um, 
that gives me a little bit of a negative view, but I try to keep that in mind that yeah. just because the, what I've seen and what I've heard about and what I've experienced myself hasn't been good. Uh, doesn't mean that it's not good period. Right. I mean, I even mm-hmm. think about when, you know, you were discipling me in some sense, you were using biblical counseling, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of what we were talking about, you were addressing through the lens of scripture and it was incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that at the time as biblical right. counseling, right. Um, but that's sort of what it was. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of counseling for the Christian, there seems to be two pretty distinct fields of biblical counseling where you're only going through scripture. And then Christian counseling would be they recognize the authority of scripture, but they are open to using what would be considered secular interventions mm. that we have through research, through the field of psychology. Gotcha. And so that's kind of where the disconnect is, is that the biblical counseling side seems to see that as you're maybe you're not saying that um, maybe there's a belief that scripture isn't sufficient for all the things that we deal with mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the discomfort lies. Yeah. I, I tend to lean towards, I think there's nothing wrong with secular interventions. Right. Um, but outside of that even is I've seen plenty of, cause I don't market myself as a Christian counselor. Right. Um, and I've seen plenty of people come in that are Christians and they don't want, anything to do with their faith being involved in the counseling, right? which I think it'd be a whole other thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like um, that's another disconnect. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's what I'm kind of processing through when you ask that question is like, it's, it's even more complicated than that really, because mm-hmm. I think in that sense, some people are like, well, what does God have to do with my mental health? Like counseling is counseling and my, my faith is my faith. So mm-hmm. I can keep those things separate. Yeah. Um, which kind of comes down to our doctrine of God, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's actually, man, that's really, really good. And I'm like fast forwarding on a bunch of questions that I had for you. One of them in light of me as a Christian going to therapy, for example, right? Like what is the difference then uh, between uh, therapy slash counseling and discipleship? Ooh, <laughs> oh, so <laughs> that's another three part though, because so it's another trend therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it almost is, man. This is like a trend. Are we like, because <laughs> threes, this looks like number. a conspiracy. The threes of threes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, counseling and therapy actually aren't really the same thing. Okay. So that's helpful. Counseling is more along the lines of like kind of directive, uh, maybe solution focused approaches. Uh, This is the symptom that we're seeing. This is how we're going to address a symptom. Therapy is what we're kind of talking about offline is more process oriented. So that's where, you know, I'm understanding what this person is going through. And in some senses, by just creating the space for them to be able to talk about it openly Mm -hmm. um, and have someone that's, you know, processing through with them, but not telling them what to do. A lot of times they can come to a solution on their, their own. Right. And so it's, it's not nearly as much uh, like with a couple, for example, of you need to do these things. You need to have a date night. You need to make sure that you're right. Right. Therapy is a lot more. So when she does this, you respond in this way and you're processing what's sort of happening for that person emotionally, um, which is way too complicated to try to explain. Sure. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's Uh, a good overview. Okay. So then when, when and how does, does discipleship like uh, interact with that? 
Yeah. Well, I think that discipleship should really be the foundation of it all. Mm -hmm. Like, so if I'm involved in my local church and I'm under biblical teaching, biblical teaching, right. And I'm involved with that. Like they're they're teaching from the Bible. Right. Yeah. Not positionally self-help. Yeah. Trash. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Let me tell you, I really feel, um, excuse me. So if these things are happening and then you're really in community, you're really being open and vulnerable with the things that you're going through, um, with where God is pressing you, you know, the things that are being exposed in your heart. If those things are happening and discipleship is happening, then I think if, if you need therapy in addition to that, then go for it. But I think if, I think what, what tends to happen is that, especially in DFW church culture, is that all the stuff that's really going on, nobody in our church knows about right. because either it's not accepted, nobody's either talking about their own stuff. And so we just kind of set that aside. It's like, oh, I need to take this to therapy. It's like, well, really, you should be able to take it to your biblical community. Mm-hmm. But if there's no transparency there, then that's really where the issue seems to pop up. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good and insightful. I think backing up briefly, going back to the question of, man, how does, how does therapy come alongside with the gospel in part? I think you answered it really well. I know you were giving several different like um, avenues of it, but I think you answered it really well when you were talking about um, giving some really just brief examples, for instance, um, offline, you talked about um, therapy being a place where, you're really providing a space for an individual's, for instance, their, their emotions to be validated. All right. So that they're, as they're working through X, Y, and Z. And I think, I think that's a really good um, practical example of how to define therapy where you're, again, you're, you're, you're intentionally providing and creating a space uh, where you are addressing almost heart issues. um, But in a space where, where, where they feel safe enough to, to do that. And I think, um, man, I think sometimes that is where the church misses it, right? Uh, because I think sometimes like the church forgets about grace and uh, as beautiful as grace is, in it, it, requires, a, it requires some sort of a, a great deal of humility and vulnerability. You know, yeah. even, oh, even yeah. when you, even when you consider confession of sin, when you confer, consider confession of sin, like, it's not just like you need to confess your sin. It's like, man, in that place, you are incredibly vulnerable because you have been stripped of your pride and self-righteousness in that moment. And so what makes grace so beautiful is that in that moment of the example here being confession of sin, in that moment, you are uh, humble and vulnerable and you are receiving God's grace for you. And I think that's where the church misses it when <clears throat> they just really want to beat someone over the head with God's word um, yeah. just so that they would do better or not do what they're doing again. Um, and I think you said it really well. Now, fast forwarding to what you, you were just finishing up with. I think that's really good press into, man, the way that's going to be provided for individuals who are Christian is whether or not they are one in a church that is preaching and teaching the gospel to whether they are themselves in biblical community being discipled and, 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 and making disciples. Uh, and then, and then three, um, that, that confession of sin or that space where, Hey, I'm going through this. This is where my heart's at with X, Y, and Z needs to be developed and, 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 uh, created so that we would, so that we would do all the other things so that we would disciple one another and, uh, man, see one another grow 
in our relationship with God and address some of these things that um, actually should be addressed in this context and maybe not therapy. Or if it does need to be addressed in therapy, there's actually this foundation that you're walking into therapy with. And I think that's what I see Christians forfeiting when it comes to therapy, for instance, <clears throat> therapy and, uh, and discipleship. I'm seeing Christians forfeit discipleship and embrace therapy as almost as, as, as an idol. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm not really sure why that is. I mean, I think some of that might be, um, if things have been mishandled in the past, yeah. uh, you know, cause like w- when you were talking, I was, I was thinking about the first time that I confessed to you yeah. and I don't, I don't, I've noticed this, that when I reflect on memories like this, like, I don't remember what people say, but I remember the vibe that I was getting. Um, and I don't remember exactly what it was that you said to me, but I just remember how, like, you were just like with me, like you didn't, you weren't like, dude, you shouldn't do that. You know, like, right. obviously, <laughs> bro, that's what I'm telling you, you know, like, it's like, people are aware of that stuff. And I think that's where people go Yeah, is they're like, they kind of lean into, well, this is what the things that you need to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people don't even need that. Like they're confessing sin. They're, sh- they're shining the light on the sin. And sometimes just by being with someone in that, I think can really cause some healing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah think exactly. Sometimes we'll lean into maybe because we don't have an understanding of what confession should look like. Maybe we haven't been on the receiving end of it ourselves, yeah. but I think we can get into a position where we think we need to, you know, beat someone over the head with whatever their sin is mm-hmm. um, in the name of, you know, pointing them to the cross, maybe as the right. excuse that we will, you know, kind of Christianese um, yeah. to, to explain it. But, but I think that ultimately people don't need so much of that sometimes when they're sharing their sin, they just need to be able to sh- actually shine the light on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's good. No, I, I, I think that's, that's okay. really good. I mean, one of the things you mentioned is like, you know, we're, we're trying to work through why is discipleship being forfeited for the sake of therapy and therapy becoming an idol for many Christians. And, and one of the reasons could be, um, or I should say one of the reasons more than likely is because of the way things have been handled within the church in the past, whether, man, yeah. whether sin was overlooked or, or sin was, uh, like sin was overlooked. The church was surprised by sin when an individual was in sin how the church handled that, whether it was inappropriately or even church discipline handled inappropriately, <clears throat> there could be stuff that they experienced in their in their in their life as 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 kids or young adults or whatever. Like there could be a lot of contributing factors that lead a Christian to forfeit discipleship for the sake of of pursuing therapy. And I think as you've mentioned, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but in doing so, a foundation of um, biblical uh, understanding, like solid biblical understanding and teaching, a foundation of being in community and being discipled and making disciples is now forfeited for the sake of pursuing therapy. And to a degree, that's selfish, I think, Um, because you're, again, you forfeit the truths of God, you forfeit the people of God, and you forfeit the role that you have within that same community. And so when a Christian does that, they forfeit their own sanctification. Yeah, they, they 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 forfeit their own sanctification um, and embrace, uh, for instance, therapy as uh, man. This is going to be the new thing that gets me closer to God. Like, no, actually, the Spirit of God resides in you, um, and we're not saying that therapy 
isn't helpful. But what we are saying is that by denying, mm, let's just call it biblical community and decide, yeah, just biblical community, whether that's the church, biblical t- uh, preaching and teaching, you know, uh, solid community, all that stuff. Like by denying the discipleship, you you actually what you end up doing is you forfeit your sanctification. And when you forfeit your sanctification, you are sinning against God, right? Like you are denying the work of the spirit of God in you and you are resisting responding to his work in you. And, uh, and I think a Christian might even say like, yeah, well, what if I, you know, what if the spirit is telling me to go to to therapy? I'm like, maybe, maybe he is. I'm not knocking that. What I'm saying is that you are forfeiting your sanctification um, so that you don't have to share your stuff with other people so that you don't have to go and make disciples so that ultimately, so that you wouldn't be known. And in the context of both the Old and the New Testament, there isn't a church community that exists where the people aren't known. Yeah, which is ironic because I think part of why therapy can, is helpful is because you are known mm-hmm. by yeah, someone else. Yeah, yeah right? absolutely. Which is what God has designed for you in his church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And I feel and like so, that's the tension, though, like what you just said, like you go to yeah. therapy to be to be known. And and that is helpful, right? That That is really helpful. And at the same time, like I know individuals that will forfeit, uh, that will embrace biblical preaching and teaching, but will forfeit biblical community. Because yeah. if I tell or if people know my heart, then what if X, Y, and Z happens? And and here's the thing. I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm not like, I'm not being unrealistic about the, the, the sins of the church. You know what I mean? And like, that is something that we are to pursue and things like that won't change if we actually don't do something about them. And so when we regularly forfeit our sanctification, um, we're not just saying I disagree with church. What we're saying is Jesus ignores his bride. Therefore, I'm going to go submit to, for instance, therapist. And that's the sermon that we preach. That's the sermon that we preach when we forfeit sanctification, right? Not like what you just said a while ago, where therapy can be in addition to this foundation that we've already developed. I think when we forfeit our sanctification, we ignore the bride of Christ. And in our walk, we preach a sermon that says Jesus ignores his bride. Yeah. If someone is listening to this that is not under biblical teaching, how would you define sanctification? How would I define sanctification if a person is what? Like if they don't have an understanding of what that is. I I feel like before I was in the Reformed Church, I didn't even know what sanctification was. I didn't know discipleship was supposed to be happening. So when you're talking about people being sanctified and people uh, giving up their sanctification for therapy, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. So when we break down sanctification, right, uh, the the, the process of sanctification, or I should say uh, the definition is the ongoing process of salvation in a person's life um, as they are responding to the spirit, to the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Right. And so there is this thing called justification in upon justification. um, When justification happens, that is God declaring a sinner just by faith alone and not merit. So in that moment, they are forgiven, they are justified, and they are reconciled to the Father. So there's a lot happening in salvation. So justification, in short, is a one-time thing. Sanctification is now the process, the ongoing process of salvation, where we are being conformed into the image of Christ as we walk out our faith from here on until the day we were called home. And one of the easier ways upon 
uh, one of the easier ways upon which I, I define sanctification is us responding to the work of God in us. And so, <clears throat> so the idea there is you're bearing fruit. You're becoming less like the person you used to be and more like the person God is calling you to be. You're being more like Christ. You, uh, you are enamored by Christ and you hate your sin, right? You love Jesus and his church and I mean, you want to pursue holiness. You want to pursue righteousness because God in Christ has gifted you his righteousness. And so when it comes to sanctification, your question was, what if a person is not in, in a biblical church? Well, I was just asking you to define it. If oh, they're not sorry. in a biblical church and they've never heard that word before. Oh, so you yeah. answered my well, question. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, yeah that would be That's that would be I mean. that. And so, man, how are we sanctified? Right. The the right. the fifty thousand foot answer, it's it's us responding to the work of the spirit in us. What does that look like practically? I think it looks like these spiritual disciplines, right? Where we are engaging God in his word, um, seeking God primarily through his word. One of the, one of the main questions, one of the most common questions I receive is what's God's will for my life. And, and if I could just like put that on the table, God's will and God's word are parallel to one another, right? You want to know God's will, you must engage God's word. Um, and you got to sit on it. You got to meditate on it. You got to chew on it. You got to ask some questions. Um, and so some, the spiritual discipline of, of meditating and reading God's word is one, um, <clears throat> uh, prayer, right. Taking intentional time, uh, yeah. of just coming before the Lord in prayer, not just to, to confess sin, but certainly to confess sin, but also, man, just to, uh, have communion with God. Um, and so you got uh, scripture reading, you got prayer, you got meditation, uh, biblical community, right? I think community yeah. is important. I think one of the, uh, not just because it's good, because I think it is it is rooted in uh, how we were designed to be. In addition to, like I think about Acts 2, where um, in Acts 2, the, the church is just discipling one another by spending time with one another, they are submitting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're breaking bread. They're praying for one another. And I think that's Acts 2, 42 to 46. At the end of Acts 2, Luke adds that more, that disciples were added to them day by day, just because they were in community with one another, uh, discipling one another through the word, confessing sin to one another, submitting themselves to the teaching of God's word by the apostles. And so, um, yeah, how do we grow in our sanctification? It would be, man, time spent in the word, prayer, repent, uh, confession and repentance of sin, biblical community, getting discipled by man, your pastor, your, your group leader, an older Christian who's been in the faith a little bit longer. Um, yeah, those would be a couple of ways. Yeah. And then seeing that Which applied is, in your everyday life. That, that, I'm sorry, sorry. That would be the last thing I would add, right? Like what yeah. you believe shapes how you live. So you're not just growing in your head. What you're growing in your head and how your heart is being changed is now applied in in every uh, area of, of, of your life, whether that's at the office, at the pub, at home, whatever. Like all of those areas are affected by what God has done for you in Christ and how are you resp and how you are responding to the spirit of God in you. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. See, that's what I was um, thinking about with this whole 
just these things that we try to add to our faith. I love that passage in Acts because it's it's simple, but it's not easy, right? But right. It, it's not that it lists off a ton of things yeah. for people to for the church to be doing. It's yeah. not like you need to be attending programs three or four times a week. You know, you need to be participating in these these huge gatherings yeah. or spending twenty hours a week volunteering somewhere, or working in nonprofits. It's yeah. not that those things are bad things, but it puts it so simply in that passage about just some of these basic foundations that we can so easily get away from Mm -hmm. that can maybe simplify things a little bit for us. It's like, are we even doing those things? Are we rooted in biblical community? Are we under the teaching of, of a teacher? No, it's the apostles, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, It's like, if these things aren't happening and then we're frustrated with our faith and we're thinking that we need therapy, what if we don't, what if we just need to be more linked up with the church? Yeah. Not to say that we definitely don't. Right. Maybe we do. Maybe we are doing all those things. I think that's what you mentioned, right? Like you're walking, if you need therapy, it, it sounded as if your encouragement would be like, man, it's okay to need therapy. And uh, as you have this foundation uh, of um, biblical community, you have this foundation of um, man, the gospel, right. Um, You're you're walking into this as you've been discipled. Um, And so this is in addition to that, right. This isn't substituting that. This is just in addition to that needs a little bit more help. Um, Whereas I think what we're mentioning is there, there are individuals who are forfeiting those things who are sacrificing the Sunday gathering, sacrificing sitting under the, the preached word, sacrificing and forfeiting biblical community, um, not taking responsibility for them responding to what the spirit is doing in them. Um, and so they are forfeiting all of those things and saying, this is, this is what I need. And I think that's when it becomes dangerous. I think that's when, when therapy can be idolatrous for, for the Christian. And I think a lot of that can be, it's not just rooted in the way things were handled in the past. I think one of the other things is it's rooted in a lack of discernment. Right, like a uh, like Tim Chalice uh, defines uh, discern is one of the better definitions. Um, I think he he defines discernment as uh, the skill of understanding and applying God's word to specific circumstances, so that we would be able to. Um, distinguish or separate good from bad, godly from ungodly, righteous from unrighteous, sound teaching from heresy. And if you consider that then, and we, if you consider that definition and we break it down, now we're saying, okay, so if I'm going to apply discernment, that means I need to understand God's word. If I'm going to understand God's word, that means I must be in God's word. It is only when I'm in God's word that I will be able to actually apply it to this uh, circumstance. And Going back to whether or not therapy is is helpful or, or harmful, the way I'm going to best distinct, distinguish that is by applying discernment. Right? right, that's that's the only way that I'm going to be able to to define that whether it's a good decision for me or not. And and I'm reminded of what Paul tells the the Philippians. It's in, uh, this is chapter one, nine through ten, and he says, "It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more." And here's the key that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Some translations will say so that you may approve what is superior so that you may approve what is best. And so what Paul is telling him there is I'm not giving you the answer. 
I'm not going to tell you what to do. What I'm saying is as you abound in love for one another, so as you're in community with one another, and as you are growing in knowledge, that not that word knowledge is specific to the Lordship of Jesus. So as you are growing in your knowledge of Christ in community with one another, what I want you to do is apply all of that to make the best decision. I want you to use discernment so that you make the best decision. And I think the reason a lot of forfeiting of knowledge of Christ, the forfeiting of biblical community comes as a result of uh, us lacking discernment because many Christians like Bible literacy is way low and Christians aren't cracking open their Bible and they're not setting their pride aside and saying, I don't understand this. I need help reading my Bible or they just don't want to read their Bible or they just don't want to hear it from biblical community for whatever reason. There is this lack of discernment that is being applied and Biblically, by definition, if we do not apply discernment, right, if, if we don't apply discernment or if we deny discernment, by definition, that means we're cool being persuaded by every doctrine. When we deny discernment, we deny God's, his, uh, we deny God's glory. And when we deny discernment, we elevate our understanding above the authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Which would be where going to just any kind of therapist could be dangerous. Yeah, exactly. If we're just going to be influenced by whatever they say exactly. and there is no discernment, we're not rooted in scripture. And in addition to being rooted in scripture, I think because the Bible is inerrant, but we're not yeah. inerrant, right? Yeah. Our yeah. understanding yeah, yeah, yeah. and interpretation of scripture is not inerrant. So I think that makes the assumption that we have to be not only rooted in scripture, but talking about it with our community so that we do have right understanding of it. And it's not just the way that I'm, you know, understanding this and, you know, maybe my very, very new walk or very immature walk. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I was looking through Ephesians four where, where, uh, Paul is telling the church that they need to be equipped so that they would disciple one another. And he, uh, he goes on to say, um, I mean, the reason we're doing this is so that we would mature one another. So that beginning of verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, schemes. And, Clearly, that's not to say that a therapist is deceitful, but at the same time, my role in that is to apply discernment. And when I deny it, I deny God's glory. I deny, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing that I'm willing to be persuaded by other winds of doctrine. Um, when I deny discernment, I'm saying my understanding, yeah, is elevated above scripture or the, the, the authority of scripture. Yeah. And it, yeah, I like, I like how you pointed out, like, you're not saying that therapists are intentionally misleading you. But I mean, that's not even just the case in therapy, right? Like we Mm -hmm. need this understanding so that we can separate a false teacher in our own church. Yeah, exactly. Um, Exactly. And because, I mean, like when you read through Jude, Jude is telling the church, like when you read first John, first Peter, second Peter and several other epistles, second Timothy. um, But when you're reading through many of these, uh, these letters, like one of the thing, one of the common themes is that, uh, these men like Paul and Peter and John are telling everybody, are telling the church, there are false teachers within the culture and false teachers are coming. What makes Jude so unique is that he's telling the church, they are already here and they are within your congregation. That's why he's so upset, right? And it's even something Peter tells the church in Second Peter. He, he tells them, hey, there will be 
false teachers that come from within you. Um, so he's yeah. warning them. Paul warns the the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20 that um, make sure that you shepherd the flock of God that you've been entrusted with because God paid really good money for them, right? His own blood. And when I leave, wolves, wolves will come from within you. So there's all of these warnings about false teachers and false prophets and false apostles um, from, from Peter and John and Paul. And here comes Jude saying, they're here. And you're not doing anything about them. They are like, he says, they're like uh, waterless clouds. They have the appearance of having uh, substance and sustenance for you, but they're empty inside and you're not doing anything about this. Yeah. It's kind of scary. Think about that. (laughs) It is. If you think about it, like when you, and so when you forfeit sanctification, going back to therapy, like when you forfeit your sanctification, man, like, like you aid in leaving the bride defenseless instead of like getting in and like, let's go, man. Like <laughs> let's get to the front lines. But when you deny it, you're, you're, you deny sanctification and you do not apply discernment and you forfeit these other areas and you're just yeah. leaving her um, open for, for harm or you can't yeah. be leaving her for open for harm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no guarantee with who we're looking for. I mean, man, it's, it's hard to find a therapist um, for people in general. Like there's so many different licenses and all this type of stuff that like, I think when people are looking, they're probably just overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually did an article on that on our good enough together blog. Uh, just trying to like lay out like a helpful, like, this is what all these different acronyms mean. Um, but then you add to that, like, I'm trying to under, like, I'm trying to find someone that's going to honor my faith. And there's people that are calling themselves Christian counselors, where if you spend any time on their website, you see some inconsistencies there. Right. Um, and then, you know, not that I'm like any kind of perfect Christian by any means, obviously, but then I'm like in the secular side of it, but I'm a, I'm a Christian who is a therapist, right. you know, yeah. and I, yeah. it's just not something that I'm really putting out there explicitly. Right. Um, but I, and I don't want to lean too hard into this because I think this could cause us to ignore discernment, but right. I do think that, you know, there's plenty of Christians that come through my door, not knowing that I'm a Christian yeah. and we end up having good conversations in that. So I know that God is sovereign in that yeah. despite, you know, some yeah, of this, absolutely. Um, but we do still have our own like responsibility in that too. Right? Exactly. Man, I, I knew an individual who had come to my church and, he had been doing counseling for a while. And one of the last things he told me, he's like, man, I, I never wanted to do Christian counseling. Uh, I never want to meet with a counselor who, who's a Christian. Now he's coming from the perspective of, I don't know, this is an individual who had gone through some stuff. Who's like, man, I don't know if I could trust the church. And so I rather just go to a counselor who is not a Christian and receive help. And, and, and maybe it, there were some areas that it seemed to be helpful. Um, and at the same time, I think both his experience and his denial of the truth of God are like in that, in that context, they were, they were both existing. And so it was like, man, you're gonna, the way you work on this, when we would meet, I was like, Hey, the way you work on this is by beginning to sit under the preach word, get in community. And that might just look like the Friday night group that we have and you hardly share anything, but maybe after a while you share something with someone. Um, Maybe after a while you might step out and serve as a greeter. Like there have to be these baby steps in your sanctification because you're going to have to apply discernment. 
Otherwise, you are choosing ignorance in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe from a place of hurt, right? Yeah, but exactly. it's like, I mean, I don't want to sound insensitive, but I think everybody's been hurt probably by either the church or someone in the church at one point or another. Dude, absolutely. Right? I mean, when you and, sign a, a covenant to say, I want to be a member of this church, like people need to really understand that you are signing up to be sinned against. Yeah, period. for sure. Like, yeah. you just need to know that now because yeah. um, it's just, you know, I, that's why you look at like Paul talking about restoration and church discipline. Like he tells Titus about church discipline. He ta- talks to the Galatians about restoration. He talks to the Corinthians about church discipline and then forgiveness of what some, some may say is the same individual regarding church discipline. And so it's just okay. like, well, yeah, when you, and, and that's not just like, Hey, so own it. You're going to be syndicated. No, that's just a reality that we have yeah. to undertake. So now this is a totally different conversation now, but <laughs> At that point, like some people might say, well, I don't know if I like that. But like, okay, now it's a question of your ecclesiology. In other words, what is the role of the church? And, you know, that, but that's a separate podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think there's one thing that we haven't really touched on yet. And I know we're, we might be close to time. Oh yeah. Go um, for it. it might happen. Did we talk yet about how there's definitely therapists that are going to just encourage you of whatever the culture is kind of dictating? Yeah, you, you mentioned that, right? They, they'll guide you yeah. in the hypocrisy of the culture. And so, yeah, why don't you you speak into that and we'll try to be brief and we'll, we'll, we'll unpack some of that. Yeah. This so, is now, to uh, be clear, this is on the harmful side of things. Right. For sure. Okay, go for, for sure. Yeah. And this is where it coming back to the sermon is so important because say maybe you're seeing a Christian therapist, maybe you're not seeing a Christian therapist, but I think either side could fall into, this is what the culture is saying is right, right now. Mm-hmm. And so we're lean into that and assume that that's correct. Um, where I say that it's ironic is that plenty of that stuff is not even backed by science, which is sort of what that that group tends to uh, lean into is that, you know, oh, well, I don't believe in religion, but I believe in science. But then there's plenty of these things that we're saying, you know, yeah. we're, we're because culture says it right, even though they're not backed up by science at all. Could you, uh, for the listeners, could you give an example of like what you, what you've seen when it comes to, um, you know, therapists guiding uh, their patients in, in, in the hypocrisy of the culture? Yeah. So uh, in American culture, I would say as a whole, we lean really into do what you need to do to make you happy. Right. And so momentarily and long-term, those can be very different things. Right. right? Like we were talking about when we were talking about premarital, if you do what makes you happy in the moment, maybe that means uh, marrying some person that isn't right for you. Mm -hmm. And then down the road, you end up with a really difficult relationship. Um, Maybe in the moment doing what makes you happy is cheating on your spouse. You could see where that could lead to (laughs) problems down the road, right? (laughs) Maybe in the moment, because I mean, if you think about wanting to be successful in anything, right? In a career field, most of the grind to get to where you want to be, to be good at something is is not moments of happiness. It's Mm. moments of sacrifice, right? right? And so that's just kind of one idea of Doing what makes you happy just because it makes you happy ultimately may yeah. make you really, really sad. You you mentioned this offline. I thought it was good it, when I asked you, like, man, could you could you unpack, like, for instance, could you unpack what you mean by you know guiding people in the hypocrisy of the culture? And you said, man, it's 
it's when you recognize that there are these beliefs that contradict one another, but they coexist. I thought that was yeah. really, really helpful. And like within the, you gave an example, even within the church, like the idea of tolerance and intolerance, right? Like these mm-hmm. are two things that can contradict one another, but yet they coexist. I thought that was really helpful. All right. So yeah, that one, I oh, s- go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I thought you were asking me to expand on it. Go ahead. Where yeah. Expand and do it, man. Okay. I'm learning. Well, I mean, I feel like that's one of the arguments that I see typically from like the secular camp mm-hmm. is that you need to force um, tolerance. Everybody should just respect each other and, you know, accept your beliefs. Um, unless you're intolerant, <laughs> then people get intolerant about people being intolerant. Uh, and so those, yeah, that, that would be a point where it's like, well, these don't connect. Like if you're, if you're going to consistently practice what you're preaching about tolerance, then you should also be tolerant of people that are intolerant. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is within the church? What do you think is needed? Because that exists in the church, you know, people like, yeah, tolerance. And then they're intolerant. What do you, what do you think? What would you, what would you counsel a church with? Um, I mean, I, I feel like we just continually go back to this, but I I just feel like it all comes down to being rooted in scripture because we make so much of things that aren't even explicitly stated in scripture. And we act as if people that aren't lining up with how we're understanding these things are only in sin. Right. right? Yeah. And, or, or that discipleship looks exactly one way that it's like a a step-by-step thing. Um, and I feel like it's so much more nuanced with that. Uh, and so that's where I would say is that, I mean, not only leaning into scripture, but setting down these, these things that could be idols, right. Maybe it's just religiosity. Yeah, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of what we're holding up is important because we're good at it. And then we encounter people in the church that maybe struggle with those things, um, or just disagree and they have, you know, find conviction and reasoning and evidence in scripture mm-hmm. to be able to take a different position on it right. and us getting stuck on, well, no, this is what God says. Yeah. Well, or maybe it says, I'm just kidding. No. Um, <laughs> okay. So man, as we, as we wrap it up, why don't you close it out as we wrap it up, like sure. here's the, what is it? Rapid fire questions uh, for the Christian is therapy bad. It depends. <laughs> No, I would say in most cases, no. Okay. Um, Maybe maybe not in most cases. See, that's a difficult question. Yeah, I know. And sometimes, sometimes not. (laughs) Is that more clear? Yeah. Yeah, Clear as mud. Yeah. (laughs) You got to discern through the mud. There you go. I'd probably say, I don't actually didn't have any rapid fire questions. I just wanted to see what you'd say, like in that moment. But yeah, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, man. So yeah, wrapping it up, what would, what would be the, the, the last thing you'd want kind of listeners to walk away with? There are definitely things that people experience where you need professional help. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I think that I've seen you and I've seen other pastors that I have respect for knowing the difference between those things Mm -hmm. of like, this is an area where I'm competent to counsel and I should, and that's my role as a pastor. And maybe there's things where they need some outside professional Mm -hmm. help. Right. And I don't think that's problematic. I think we can get really, really uh, just, maybe leaning into our idols. If we think that you should either never go to therapy or you should only got to go to one style of therapy. Um, I think it's so much more nuanced than that. So we should err towards showing grace to each other and um, 
yeah. Yeah, that's, I, that's good, man. I think the only thing I would encourage people uh, to to pursue, I would encourage people to pursue two things, right? Discernment, right? That means we've got to understand the word, got to apply the word. Do not, don't forfeit discernment from when we do, right? We deny God his glory. And then, uh, man, uh, pursue sanctification uh, in the context of the local church. So if you're a Christian who's like, I love Jesus, but you know, I don't really love his church. Then that's preaching a sermon that says Jesus ignores his bride. So let's, yeah. let's start there. So cool, man. Can I add one other thought on you that? You should add one other thought. I never said it. So we can be encouraged by the fact that not only have we been sinned against by the church, right? Mm-hmm. But we're sinning against others in the church, but Christ is being sinned against by the church every single day. Yeah. Right. And if he gets to a point where he decides to give up on us, we are going to be in a very bad position or we would be in a very bad. We know that's not going to happen. Right. If, if that were the case, we would all be in serious trouble. So we can't just give up on the church because we've been hurt by it because we're part of that hurt. We contribute to that hurt and thank God that he forgives us. Yeah. Even with what we, you know, have done to other people. Yeah, bro. Praise God for that. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the Reforming Lounge. Remember, this is going to be a three-part series. Next week, we're going to tackle the new psychology. So we hope hope to see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Reforming Lounge podcast. Follow us on social media at the Reforming Lounge on Instagram. If you have questions, we want to hear from you. Visit thereforminglounge.com.